welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to The Knowing Podcast. I am Ciel. And today's episode is going to be a practice episode. Uh, I have had this intention since I started or started thinking about doing this podcast of offering these practice episodes where you and I, you as a listener and I as a practitioner, but also as a person who sometimes doesn't have or take the time to do practices as often as she should, um, to sit together and do a practice together. And to offer some of the most pivotal, the most transformative practices that I've encountered in, say, the last 20 years of being a seeker and being someone who has struggled through their own processing and healing and everything else that comes along with uh, being a human being. And so what I'm going to do today is uh, I'm going to offer a little background on a practice that I've referenced several times in the podcast so far. Uh, this is a practice of Tonglen. Tonglen has, I would say, next to meditation, been the most powerful and the the most pivotal um, practice that I've encountered and, and engaged with that has allowed me to move into um, my own suffering and my own pain and my own stuff that needed to be unpacked and reevaluated, but has also allowed me to develop the capacity to sit with the pain of other people and to enhance my experience of compassion uh, in a wider and wider way um, as I move through my life. And, uh, and I really believe um, that what we are being called to task right now um, as, as human beings is this request for compassion, request for moving towards suffering rather than doing uh, what is fairly habitual for all of us. And it's very natural. It's something that biologically we are encoded to do, which is to move away from suffering. All biological beings want to avoid pain and move towards pleasure. And yet, as human beings, we were more complex than, say, most of the other mammals in the earthly system in that some of our pain, if we move towards it, um, Carl Jung said, you know, if we're willing to go towards pain, we'll actually find that it it's this dragon that is indeed guarding our most sacred treasures on the other side of our pain um, tends to be a, a lot of our gifts, our capacity for connection, our capacity for uh, belonging. And, and we have to actually be willing to move in the direction of discomfort in order to create this greater sense of belonging, in order to overcome some old wounds we've been carrying for a long time. So, so Tonglen is, again, it's, it's like this amazing, almost like a weightlifting exercise for your compassion muscle. And um, it's not something that you know, it, it doesn't happen fast per se um, in terms of our development of this muscle, our development of our ability to sit with suffering, both ours and other people. But like most um, 
mindfulness and meditation and either other sort of concentration and focus-based practices, the more we do it, just like lifting a weight at the gym, you know, the stronger that muscle gets and the more readily we can be available to uh, this world and, and the suffering of all beings. So um, I encountered Tonglen for the first time. I was trying to think this morning how long ago it was. I think I was about 22. Uh, at the time, I was fairly heavily medicated for uh, bipolar disorder, anxiety, um, depression, insomnia, a whole bunch of stuff, um, uh, attention deficit disorder, I, you name it, I'd been diagnosed with everything. I was a very anxious, unhappy individual at that point in my life. And I ended up in the office of a psychiatrist in Victoria while I was going to university. And uh, same with Jim Sacamano. So shout out to Dr. Sacamano, wherever you are. Um, he changed everything for me. And at a time when I felt like nobody in the world could see anything good in me, um, he did. And he was very present to what was going on in my life and in my brain at that time. Really helped me with several sort of more classical psychotherapeutic modalities, cognitive behavioral therapy and that kind of stuff. But it turned out that he was also a Buddhist. And he introduced me to uh, Pema Chodron. And he actually gave me some sort of uh, pre-published photocopied transcripts of her work because uh, they actually were both affiliated with Shambhala at the time and um, but he also introduced me to this idea of Tonglen and at the time in this state of heavy depression this this uh, I, I mean I I can't recall completely the feeling but I do. I did keep a journal through that time, and when I read what I wrote, um, it was this ultimate uh, self-obsession, in a sense. You know, where I, I was thinking nonstop about me, how shitty I was, or what a pain in the ass I was, how useless I was, how bad at things I was, how fat, how ugly, how you name it. I was. I was in this constant. Um, narrative about me, 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 but in this really, really negative and deeply judgmental way. And I think one of the really interesting things that brain science has come to understand in the last while, looking at the brain scans of people who are depressed, is, is there's this intense overactivation of the so-called default mode network, which is the central part of the brain that is involved with your concept of you, this uh, identity sort of experience where you're thinking a lot too much so about who you are and whether or not you're worthy and you know, whether or not people love you or value you or whatever narrative that each person sort of develops in their own experience of depression. And it is, it's a, it's like a trap. It felt like a trap for me. You know, it was this constant circulation um, of, I did feel like I was in pain and I was worried about, you know, what I was accomplishing and doing in my life. And, and I was making a lot of really not so great choices. And yet, you know, it's, as soon as I tried to get out of it, it was like clawing out of quicksand, you know, and then it would pull me back in and I'd be back into this sort of like circular narrative about how shitty I was. And so one day in, the, in Dr. Sacramento's office, he said, you know what, let's try a practice if you're open to it. And I want you to imagine someone in the world who you don't know 
someone who you only maybe know through um, your idea of them. So, and he said, pick somebody who it's easy to feel um, compassion for. And I, I imagine that maybe he didn't even use the word compassion because I don't even know if my brain was sort of primed to understand that concept. Then he maybe said, you know, someone that you feel sorry for, you know, and and I think that maybe would have been accessible for me to say, yeah, I do feel sorry for um, people starving, you know, in, in some impoverished country or children who are being abused or someone who is very easy and immediate for you to feel like, wow, that person is having a hard time. And he said, I want you to imagine this person and you can even imagine a, a group of these people. And I want you to imagine the pain that they're experiencing as an energy that is either innervating them, you know, you can see it moving throughout their bodies or sitting on top of them like a, a weight, you know, and he said, imagine that this is this dark green or gray or black or whatever feels right kind of color. Um, and it's this, this heaviness on this person uh, that they have to carry as they move through their day. And he said, what I want you to do on your in-breath is imagine that you can breathe this pain into your being. And not like you are swallowing it, you're not like taking it in in a sort of uh, penitentant kind of way, you're not punishing yourself by taking in the pain of other people. What we're gonna do, he said, is we're gonna practice sending and receiving on the breath, and this is actually what Tonglen means, in, in Tibetan it means to send and receive or give and take, and he said, we're going to breathe in this pain and on your out breath, you're going to send them out what you think that they need and the sort of energy uh, associated with that thing that you think that they need, be that peace or healing or joy or happiness, whatever it is, then create this sense of that energy in your own mind and in your body and breathe it out and see it going to them and circling around them and supporting them and innervating them the way that the other energy was innervating them. And I mean, I, for whatever state I was in, a lot of things really didn't click at that point. I was, again, fairly heavily medicated. I, I lived in this sort of crazy fog. But this made so much sense to me. And I, I don't think I really could fully conceptualize of why it made sense at the time. But he said, you know, we did this for a few moments and I remember feeling, first actually feeling my body, feeling my heart, feeling um, like this, you know, a, like a, a, an awakening kind of like a lightening in my whole being which I, I guess I can now understand in a neurobiological sense of like my brain being able to shift out of that default mode network and into um, conceptualizing of something outside of myself, which, which paradoxically was exactly what I needed to do in order to get out of that loop that I was stuck in. And it, but it, it just, it was like this aliveness that, that came back into my whole being. And, and so I, I would see Dr. Sacramento every Tuesday morning if I actually got my ass together and got there, sometimes I was a little bit flaily, but um, I would see him on Tuesday mornings. And so this Tuesday morning, he gave me this practice. And I remember the next morning getting on the bus to go to school. I was going to the University of Victoria. 
And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this practice. And because he said, you know, try it with people that you see. Try it as you walk down the street, you know, to shift your brain out of this constant thinking about you, which, I mean, we all we all do this a lot. I mean, we think a lot about what we're getting and what we don't have or what we want or what's wrong with us, you know, and, and it's a trap, right? And, and it's, it can be fairly easy, I think, for us to get stuck in that loop, that, you know, groove in our brain that just, you know, won't let us go. And this practice, all of a sudden I was like, I can just shift out of that and I can think about other people's pain and so I was sitting on the bus and this man walked on and he was an older man. He had a cane. I was limping. Like he, you know, when you watch people and you can tell that they are in actual physical pain and he walked really slowly and uncomfortably up the stairs and I was sitting towards the back of the bus and he was sitting about a quarter of the way back and he sat down with his back to me and I sat there and I closed my eyes and I imagined this man's pain and, you know, on a physical level, but I just, we don't even need to dissect it and say, oh, I know what their pain is. It's just that they're suffering. All humans are suffering. And I breathed it into myself and I sent out peace and and lightness. It just felt like this person had this heaviness that was so uncomfortable in their whole being. And I, so I started doing it for everybody. And I, I started doing it for, you know, people in my classrooms. If I, if I saw that they, you know, had crutches or, or something that was very visible, you know, I didn't want to. And he kind of guarded me against saying, you know, don't assume, you know, what the suffering of other people are. Um, but when you see that somebody is suffering, Rather than doing this habitual thing that is, again, encoded into our biology, which is to avoid pain, move towards it and say to yourself that you are strong enough to encounter the suffering of another being and to alchemize that suffering. Because I really think that that's what we do as human beings, um, is that we, we're alchemists. We turn so-called shitty or useless thing into, you know, this gold, this spiritual insight into compassion. I think the highest expression of the human heart is, is this compassion and understanding for another person or another being's experience. And that's what Tonglen became and, and has since been for me is this, this sense of, um, moving towards pain, moving towards other people, um, moving out of my own self-centeredness, which is very easy to uh, fall into in modern society, I think, um, and really recognizing my strength, my inner capacity to meet suffering. I, I made mention on the last episode with Alison that um, it is my belief that most of modern society was created to avoid feelings we don't want to feel, to avoid suffering, um, was created to avoid this inner core sense that, you know, is so-called original sin in the Bible, um, the Wetiko virus in the, the Anishinaabe tradition, I think, or Iroquois tradition. You know, this, this idea that we have this, this um, 
belief in us that something is fundamentally wrong with us, that somehow we are flawed and we don't belong here and we've been cast out of the Garden of Eden and and we have to repent, you know, but depending on what kind of religious system you're, you're interacting with. Some of them say we must repent. Some of them say we can't ever repent enough and we're never going to be redeemed and we're just forever being punished for our... Um, our own self-consciousness, our own inability to accept ourselves, right? But in the Buddhist tradition and in the shamanic tradition, this is not an insurmountable issue in our own psychology. It is a program. It is a virus. It's something that, you know, we have experienced as a sickness for a long time, and it is possible to uh, be free of it. And Tonglen, what we're actually doing when we're practicing moving towards suffering, we are strengthening, again, this inner muscle of compassion so that we can connect more deeply with other people and be present to the experience, the, the total experience and suffering of the world. But also we're preparing ourselves to move deeper and deeper into accepting our own suffering and moving towards that core story of shame that chases us everywhere we go as human beings. And eventually re being able to sit with this story and have compassion for ourselves for carrying this story and i mean as the the buddha said you know at, at the point that we actually sit with our own shame and we love our own shame we don't shame our shame anymore we don't condemn ourselves for having the shame uh, it can no longer control us and we can be released and come back into this inner knowing where we are able to say I belong here I am as divine as the entire system around me and this is my my purpose as a human being is to come back into this knowing so again Tonglen has been so important. I cannot describe how important it has been and continues to be. It's the thing that I find grounding in more often than not as I move through my day. So the actual practice, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but Tonglen is a Tibetan word. It means to, yeah, I did, to send and to receive. Okay. And so it's, it's, uh, Pema Chodron says, you know, we ride the breath, we move back and forth on the breath in this practice. And it, we are alchemizing these dark energies, um, whatever we're sort of interacting with as a thing outside of ourselves and then breathing it in and then breathing out what we feel that is needed in the situation. Now, there are also levels in Tonglen practice, um, some people teach it this way, and this, uh, sometimes I teach it this way. Sometimes we'll do what's called on-the-spot Tonglen, which is a little different. But today I'm going to talk about the five levels because uh, I think they're really important. And maybe on a, on a personal level, uh, Dr. Sacramento Gay explained these five levels to me years ago. And he said, you know, you need to go through the levels carefully and slowly and understand that you are building a muscle. Again, you know, the muscle of compassion is like the muscle of patience or the, the muscle of presence. It's not something that we can just um, try once and then we're going to be really good at. It's actually something that we need to develop. And again, I use this analogy often, but like if you go to the gym and you lift up a hundred pound weight with a bicep curl, you're, you're not going to be able to do it the first time. You're going to have to work your way up to doing, you know, a really 
high intensity exercise because the muscle needs to develop and grow over time and with practice. And these mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological practices are no different. We need to practice them um, over time in order to kind of prep ourselves for really getting into the deeper reaches of our suffering and being present to the deeper expressions of suffering in the world. So these five levels that we practice Tonglen on, um, it's like we start far away from ourselves and in a safe, what feels like a safe heart space. So in the first level of Tonglen, um, what we do is we, uh, as Dr. Sacramento introduced me to it, um, we think of a group of people or a person that we don't know personally. We do not have a direct relationship with this being. But they, we know that they are suffering and it's very easy for us to cultivate a sense of compassion and wanting to move towards that being who is suffering. Okay, And we do the practice for that group or that individual um, because it is a safe heart space. You know, to We're not kind of challenging ourselves to move into discomfort uh, right away. Okay, I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable enough to be moving towards suffering rather than trying to avoid it as we habitually always do. Um, so this is this is a heavy enough weight for us to start with. The second expression or the second level of Tonglen that we go into is we think of some the, someone that we know, a being that we know or a group of people that we know, but that is still easy for us to develop compassion for. So this might be a friend who we know has recently been diagnosed with some condition. This is someone who is going through a breakup, someone who is uh, close to us who has experienced something extremely challenging. Um, it's easy for our heart space to offer them um, compassion and healing and love uh, but they because they're closer to us it is going to be a little more challenging right it's a slightly heavier weight to carry um, because sometimes I mean if you're like me and I think like most human beings just opening our heart to the pain of another being can sometimes be really overwhelming right and especially someone who's close to us um, our fears and our sufferings might be kind of entangled up and intertwined with theirs without ours even without us even recognizing it. So this is a it's a more challenging thing than doing this practice for somebody who we don't know. The third level is we think of someone who we don't know or a group of people that we don't know and people that it is not easy for us to develop compassion for. So these could be people who are doing things that we don't agree with or who have done things that we don't agree with. And um, part of our intellect certainly wants to judge them as being wrong or bad and put them into you know these polarized categories and kind of write them off, right? There is a core belief in Buddhism and in particular, or maybe it's only because it's the lineage that I know well, in Shambhala Buddhism, this belief of basic goodness, that human beings are basically good, that we do distorted and nasty things when we are hurting and traumatized and we have not processed our inner traumas, and that even people who have done things that are not good are still deserving of compassion. And in fact, that compassion is the only thing that along with, you know, boundaries and, and justice and stuff, but justice with compassion, where we are not condemning people as being 
evil or somehow um, not a rightful member of the human species. So this belief does inform, you know, even the intention or the desire to move towards someone who we don't agree with, who we don't like their behavior or their character or their nature, what be have you. So, but we, we want to keep it at a distance, right? Because you can feel the perhaps the heaviness, the weight of even considering doing this for someone who you don't really like. Um, but it's someone you don't know, right? So this could be someone like, uh, I mean, uh, you you name it, religious fundamentalists who have taken out, you know, have done horrible things to other groups of people. Um, it could be, you know, politicians that you don't necessarily agree with. Uh, and you're going to feel most likely this like, and I think this is a very amazing thing and very important thing to pay attention to, is the sensation of your heart wanting to close. Or it might be closed already and the sensation of your heart just refusing to open. You know, as we say, I can feel compassion for these people, but I can't for these this person because I don't agree with them at all and I think they're a terrible human. Now, if that's happening for you, we don't force the heart open. You know, it's, again, the, the muscles necessary to, to support an open-hearted, compassionate perspective and interaction with the world have to be developed um, in most people, and it, it does take practice. So, you know, I... It took me five years to go through these levels because it was so hard for me to to cultivate compassion for people that I had, you know, designated as not decent humans. Um, and so I would go back to the level before and practice that a little bit more until I could feel my heart opening up again, which was, for me, a far more comfortable space. But we nobody has to do this practice. It's not required but I wanted to, and I wanted to understand how to keep my heart open no matter what. And so if you're feeling, if you go, you know, into a next level in this practice and you feel your heart want to close down, don't force it. You don't have to keep on that level. Go back to the level before and experience um, just the, the joy and the beauty of having an open heart space and continue practicing until you feel like you're ready to go into the next step. And it might be years and that's okay. Um, the next step is, is certainly even harder and even heavier in that we think of someone we know, of course, I think you were anticipating this, someone we know, someone we really don't agree with, someone who we don't like, we don't enjoy, um, and someone who we don't want any connection with, right? Someone who we, I mean, that quote from Hillary Clinton, you know, we put into the basket of deplorables, right? <sighs> The, the polarizing language of our political landscape as, as a Canadian, you know, it's not that much different up here, but where we are putting people into these camps, you know, is, I mean, I think the antithesis of what we need to be doing as human beings, and it perpetuates this closed-hearted, closed-minded state. Um, for those of us who can, who feel drawn to it, uh, we don't have to ever do these practices, but it's uh, this kind of work, I believe, that is going to lead us into a far more coherent and loving and beautiful experience as human beings, but um, each to their own, right? So, but we think about someone like that, someone that, you know, our mind says, I don't want to connect with this person. I just think that they're nasty. And if we have done all the levels up until this point, we're still 
we're going to naturally, like it, it is like an unfolding of our heart space, you know, that says, yeah, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to think about that person who did something to me even, you know, and I want to um, recognize that their actions were based and, and emanated from their suffering. And I want to relieve them of that. And I want to send them peace and, and love and, and healing, whatever that might feel like. Um, knowing that, you know, I am benefiting both them and I am strengthening my own internal compassion muscle and and aiming towards, you know, uh, approaching all beings with equanimity. So we do this. This is a hard step, right? We don't want to do this. And, and we'll do this. It's like there's sub-levels, too, of each of these steps. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll do it for this person who, you know, I'm kind of okay with and kind of don't like, you know, and then we, like, it just go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper until we're working with someone who maybe did something really terrible with us or to us when we were earlier in our lives, you know, and we have the capacity for moving towards them rather than shutting them out. So the last level, after we've gone through all of those four um, and again, it, this took me five years until I could even begin to approach this level, is that we do this practice for ourselves. We move towards our own shame, our own just intense self-doubt and self-judgment, and we don't try to fix it. We don't try to change it. We don't try to get rid of it. We breathe it into our own being to relieve our own suffering. This is an expression of love in like the biggest way, I think, you know, that we are saying, I'm going to, I want you to not be burdened with this suffering. And we're the very last people generally that we're going to do that for, right? We, it is not easy to wish, we can say on an intellectual level that we wish good things for ourselves. And yet some part of us, again, is carrying this old biologically, you know, inherited trauma that says something is wrong with you, something, you know, you're just not quite right. Now, you know, go out there and prove that you belong here, that you deserve to be here, right? And it is, it, it takes so much strength and so much presence to sit with our own suffering and, again, not try to get rid of it. We're not trying to banish this suffering, right? We don't hate things out of existence, but we're trying to breathe it in and then send love and generosity and, and whatever else we feel we need to ourselves, okay? So I have, historically, I've, I've taught quite a few like women's medicine circles and healing groups and stuff and offer these practice and say, you know, start on the first level. Don't, don't go right to level five, you know, this week because we often in these groups we meet every week. And so I'd go through all the levels with everyone and then say, this week your homework is to just try level one, you know, find people that it's easy to find compassion for, send them healing, work with your breath, blah, blah, blah. And invariably, um, there will be someone or a couple people who come back and they say, you know, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, I feel like my heart is very open and I, I want to do this work right away. And I'm, and, you know, they're hungry to be compassionate, which is such a beautiful thing. And we think, yeah, I can do this. It's, again, it's like going to the gym, you know, and you're like, I can lift the heaviest weight. This is okay. I can push myself. And then, you know, for four days afterwards, you can't walk. And this work can be as destabilizing and, you know, um, debilitating if we try to take on too much too fast. So truly, I encourage you to 
see this as a, a lifelong practice um, of opening up the heart space, of exercising these heart muscles, these loving kindness muscles and compassion muscles, um, and start with the first level. Okay, And today we're going to do a brief practice in encountering this and, and putting ourselves in this space, getting ready to um, move towards the suffering around us. Okay, Because Again, I think you can probably see this, I hope you can see this, that the, the calls that are being made, the social change efforts that are being undertaken and have been undertaken for a very long time, um, I don't know if everyone always hears them as a call for compassion and empathy and I think that many people are so unused to unused to compassion. And I think especially in the area era of social media and the vacuums, these myopic sort of vacuums we all live in in our social media challenge or channels, um, we've gotten very, very good at judgment and separation. Uh, polarization, you know, it, it, you don't have to look far to find this narrative of us and them and right and wrong and good and bad and evil and, you know, holy, whatever we want to call it. Um, and so this is, again, something that our brains love, and especially when we are traumatized, which I think on some level all human beings are, we love simple answers. We love to put people in boxes. We love to put ourselves in boxes. We're good if we ate lettuce and bad if we ate chocolate cake. And, you know, we live in this very tense sort of experience with ourselves and with the outside world. And this causes so much pain for um, everyone, for ourselves, for the animals around us, for the planet. Um, and has especially caused extraordinary levels of pain for people who don't look like us, you know. And it said that the colonizing settlers from Europe came over, and they were they were noted as being sick, as having this virus that the the First Nations people of the Eastern Seaboard saw. You know, they said these people are cannibals. They don't realize that they are eating their own bodies when they're destroying the earth and destroying each other, that they've lost their sense of interconnectedness. And that is born out of this um, original sin, this sense that there's something wrong with us. And and then we don't look at it. You know, we, we try to avoid the pain inside of us and, and end up inflicting this pain on other people people and other beings and and this is the call that is being made i think right now is to say we all need to look at our own shame and suffering and the suffering of other people and recognize hopefully the beauty and the possibility the immense potential that exists in us um, not trying to avoid it anymore and we can't it's it's no longer feasible for the state of the environment or the state of our societies for us to not look at these parts of ourselves and our history. And in that, though, is going to be our liberation, our freedom from this old virus um, that has been chasing us for some 10,000 years. So, so I hope that um, you see this as meaningful and hopefully as powerful as I do at a time too where I know that a lot of us want to do a lot 
and we don't know what to do. Um, this is not as a substitution for getting involved with your local you know, policies and politics and, and community activities. But I, I do think that it is in order to maybe challenge ourselves to get involved in a deeper way, we first have to feel strong for a lot of people. And so hopefully this will feel like a supportive practice for you developing these muscles so then you can um, move in action in the outside world in a way that feels uh, aligned with your soul self and the gifts that you brought into this world. So, so we're going to practice. What I would like you to do is find yourself a comfortable seat. And again, even if you're listening to this uh, while you're driving, it is actually possible to do this while you're driving. Um, I maybe wouldn't encourage it because I don't think that you can give the complete attention that you might otherwise, but uh, we're not gonna, we don't need to do this with the eyes closed if you don't want to. Um, and it can be an accessible practice as we're moving through our day. I think, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I, again, I do this while doing other things a lot of the time um, as a means of, of keeping my attention in my heart space. But if you have the space and if you've taken the time today to sit down and, and take this as a practice experience, uh, find yourself a comfortable seat. And by comfortable, I mean sitting cross-legged if that feels good for your body, sitting on your knees if that feels good for your body, sitting in a chair. Try not to lie down. Um, we do have a thing that happens in our brain when we lay down. You know, the brain anticipates that you're probably going to sleep. So we don't have the same capacity for attention and focus um, if we are lying down. And if you're like me, you'll probably just end up sort of nodding off. So... So find your comfortable seat, and if you are sitting in a chair, make sure that your feet are flat on the ground. And the hands can be resting anywhere, um, but is, as this is a very grounding, very um, inner-focused practice, it probably will feel good to have your palms facing down, so palms on the knees or the thighs or on the arms of your chair. When we place the palms face down, there's a, a point in the center of the palms called our lagong point and this is um, one of the places that we interact with the outside sort of energetic world and so we're kind of closing that down here I know that seems strange because we are still sending our consciousness out into the world into the suffering of other beings but let's keep our inner energy system as grounded as possible here now if it feels good for you to close your eyes, you can. As I mentioned before, though, it is not necessary to close your eyes. It just tends to allow a lot of people to have a greater access to their inner wisdom and inner vision. So if that feels good, closing your eyes. But just for a moment, um, maybe not as extensively as we do in a seated meditation practice, I want you to just notice what it feels like to be in your body right now and sitting wherever you're sitting. We may notice the spine maybe consciously lifting and lengthening the spine, creating some space in a sense almost between the vertebrae as the crown of the head lifts up towards the ceiling. And as we lift and lengthen the spine, we might consciously soften the shoulder blades and allow them to fall down the back, noticing that this can allow a quality of spaciousness to come into the heart and the collarbones will spread off to the sides of the body. And there's a very gentle 
dropping of the chin towards the chest. Now make sure you're not dropping your chin all the way to your chest, just a little tiny dip. That as we do this and dropping the chin, we feel the back of the neck lengthen a little bit, almost like we're creating space behind the ears. And then drop your attention down into your hips. If you're sitting cross-legged, maybe consciously allowing the outside of the hips to soften, even the inside of the knees, and even if you're sitting in a chair, paying attention to these points in your body and letting them relax. There is a quality of centeredness with this beautiful tall spine and then a quality of softening in the body that surrounds it. We are open and present, but grounded. And then we bring our awareness very gently to the belly and notice your breath here. There's no need to change your breath. We're not deliberately making it longer or coordinating it in any other way. Naturally, when we bring our attention to our breath, it will kind of lengthen a little bit, and that's fine. But just let the breath be natural. And just notice what happens when you're breathing. And then bring your attention up into your chest, into the center of your chest, and find your breath here. You may notice the expansion of the chest cavity as we inhale, and that the chest falls and softens as we exhale. And then draw your attention maybe back from the surface of your chest into your heart space. And I, maybe because I'm a biologist, love to think about the heart, the wonder of this organ in our own bodies, in the bodies of other people, in the bodies of other animals, this incredible piece of muscle that is coordinating all of these movements of blood and other fluids. And it's going all the time. And just imagine your heart pumping. If you can, feeling a kind of appreciation and gratitude for your own heart, you're gonna ask it to stretch today. Let's start with some appreciation. Now, visualization comes very easily to some people, and for other people it is too like a muscle, something that we need to practice and reclaim. But we're not going on a journey, we're really taking ourselves somewhere today. We're just going to imagine um, people or groups of people to the best of our ability. If it doesn't sort of appear clear to you in your practice, that's okay. I think that the somatic, the body-based experience of this practice is really what's important, not the visualization so much. But if visualizing comes naturally, 
go for it. But you are going to imagine, maybe in your mind's eye, a group of people or a person or even a being, an animal. Animals can be somewhat easier for us to do sometimes. Who is suffering? This could be children in a war zone, children without food, people without food. For the purposes of our contemporary cultural climate, and if this is available to you, this can be people experiencing racism. This can be animals being abused or neglected. And I want you to imagine that they're suffering the pain that they are experiencing is an energy they carry. If it's available to see this energy as weighing them down, circulating around them, give it a color, a texture. And on your in-breath, with all of this awakened heart space available, Imagine that you are breathing their suffering into your own body and into your heart space. And almost like you can transmute it from suffering into something else. It's like our body cleanses this suffering and sends back what we feel that person or persons would need belonging, love, acceptance, safety, healing, peace, whatever feels right for you and for this person or people, beings. And we move back and forth on the breath, noticing we can take in the suffering of other beings, move towards the pain of other beings, and maintain our capacity to be loving and present and generous. I'll just stay here for about 30 more seconds, riding your breath sending and receiving. your practice, come back to the feeling of your own breath, wherever your attention lands, in the chest, in the belly, maybe even noticing the flow of air through your nostrils, 
and I like to close my practice when I am doing it in a very deliberate way like this with an intention, a prayer. As a yogi, I love the prayer that is often offered in yin yoga, which is um, loka samasta sukino bhavantu, which translates as may all beings everywhere know happiness and the root of happiness, and may every thought, word, and deed of mine contribute in some way to their happiness. May I relieve the suffering of the world. I hope this has been meaningful for you. I hope that this practice feels like an accessible and powerful thing to engage with right now. Again, I have great faith that this is what we are all being called to do and to enhance and strengthen our capacity to love and to move towards suffering and that this will be the great healing of the human spirit and and psyche that we all want um so yeah i'm sure i will bring up tonglen in every episode after this point because it is that important uh, and at some point maybe we'll um, explore the possibility of looking at on the spot practice it may just come up in a conversation at some point but it is another beautiful way of applying Tonglen more as kind of in the moment, uh, symptomatic support. So, um, yeah, hope you guys are all well and, uh, I'll be back in this space soon. Have a really wonderful day. The Knowing is an Intelliki production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sukhwapmik people. All music, editing and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. <laughs>